Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show Larry Green from Exclusive Business Hours to talk all about the sale and acquisitions of medical practices and why it's about more than just the numbers. In this episode, we talk about a number of different examples of the types of medical practices that Larry has recently organised to be sold. In particular, we look at the case study of a small medical clinic, a mid-sized practice and a large general practice. And we look at the difference in the sale price that was achieved in each of these different businesses and why the sale price was different based on more than just the revenue of the practices. And we also dig into ultimately what the value is in a medical practice and how it is for sellers to maximise that value and for buyers to ensure that that value is transferable to them as they take over the new business. So that's it. Buckle in. Here we go with Larry Green and looking at medical practices and why it's more than just the numbers. Larry, hello. Welcome on to the Deal Room Podcast. Welcome to you. Think nice to have you on. <laughs> it's great to have you on, Larry. And I know you're um you're still as we're recording this, Melbourne is still in stage four lockdown. So um you're putting on a brave face, oh. notwithstanding the yeah. uh <laughs> the the crazy it's, it's, it's groundhog groundhog day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet it is. I bet it is. I bet it is. All right. So today we're talking about this topic of medical practices and that being more than just about the numbers, which, um, you know, which is, I I think, a great way of um, setting out some of the, uh, perhaps the synopsis of where we're getting to today. But maybe before we kick it off, Larry, can you give us a really quick background of who you are and why why you're talking about medical practices? Okay. Um, Well, I've been a business broker for probably 18 or 19 years now. and I've been sort of focusing on the medical space for the last six or seven years mm. um, because partly because I, I found it a very interesting area to get into. My background is in, in um, uh, the health sciences. Um, I'm actually a biochemist by training and I spent 15 years in the pharmaceutical industry. So I have a sort of a, interesting. Um, a, an, an empathy with, with the profession and I, I have friends and and uh, acquaintances who are in either pharmacy or medical and things like that. So I, I, I found it uh, challenging and ultimately rewarding as well. Our company, I'm the um, the medical and health spe- sales specialist in Victoria, but I also assist my colleagues in, in other states. I've just been helping out with somebody in South Australia who's doing evaluation on, um, on a dental practice. Mm. Um, I can provide uh, support for those people as well. So I do valuations on practices. I do valuations on 
related businesses like physiotherapy practices and chiropractors. Great. Okay. And can I ask, uh, it's interesting as you're talking, I'm, I am just reflecting and thinking, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why was it that you became a business broker? This might be a little bit off topic, but, you, you know, I'm, I'm okay. often quite interested in, um, in the story behind that. Yeah, I, I was working with a, a colleague of mine when we taught at RMIT University and we went out and, and did small business, small to medium enterprise consulting and we were working with accountants and, and helping them develop um, their businesses um, and, but in return we would get clients of theirs to, to work on to improve their businesses. And over a period of time we were starting to get um, uh, don't help them s- fix the place, you know, they want to sell it. Yeah, mm. we can sell it and do that sort of stuff. And that's how we literally, it changed. And we were looking at helping people buy businesses as well. Um, and we did a little bit of work on that. But it was mainly that that change over from, they really just want to get out of this business and, and mm. can you help them do that? And we, we started the process before we were probably aware of our legal requirements, mm. but we managed to get over <laughs> that fairly quickly. Um, and uh, I'm now, I I'm read now, the lines. I've, yeah, I've held, I've held a, a license, um, as you need, as you probably know, that the, mm. we're under the Estate Agents Act here in Victoria, and I've had an agents rep, and now I've, got a, I've had a full license for about a, 10 years or so. So um, yeah, that's how we work, and that's how That's it interesting. And what do you like most about business broking? I'm sorry, I'm taking us off topic here, but we'll come back. We'll come back. I okay. just, this I is my last off topic question. You. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, look, it's it's a, it, as I mentioned the word challenging before. I think it is challenging. Sometimes I was talking to somebody just recently. It would be lovely to to work in an area where you made something. You know, and here's a widget, and mm. you, and you sell it, and you, you get customers, and that sort of stuff. I, I've always been in sales, um, in one way, one form or the other, um, and even in pharmaceuticals, you never sold anything to the person you were talking to. It was really just getting them to think about using the product yeah. and, and, and challenging that way. So that's part of why I, I found it interesting to, is to that you're selling in different ways. You're selling yourself to somebody to get mm. the, the, the business, to get the listing, and then you're selling the, the, the business to the to a marketplace and then you're selling back to, the, to the, your client, the vendor, uh, the offers that come in. Mm. And that's really, it's, it's, a, it's wearing different hats at different times. It's not a straightforward selling. I think that's a challenging thing for me as well. Mm. And it's, it's very flexible. You know, you can, you can do think different things in different ways. Mm. It is in- interesting because a lot of what you're talking about there I resonate with because, you know, from a legal perspective, you know, I love this industry because it lets you lets you deal with lots of different people, but everyone is almost always aligned for the same objective just to get these deals across the line, right? But it's just fabulous sometimes seeing people come in and have the opportunity to acquire a business and breathe this new fresh life into it and, uh, you know, it can be a very rewarding area. But anyway, we that's probably enough of the background. Yep. I just yep. always like to understand a bit. So we're talking about medical practices here. What do you think the differences between uh, the sale of medical practices and other types of general businesses? So there things that you think, you know, make this a bit of a specialist? Well, I think it is a specialist area, but what are your thoughts ab- about well, that and why? 
Yeah, I mean, medical practices are businesses. That's the first thing I think you you have to appreciate. Second thing is that yes, there are some unique aspects of these of these businesses that need to be taken into consideration. You're dealing with highly trained professionals, mm. medical practitioners with uh, varying understanding of business, and uh, some of them are very smart and able to appreciate the business. Uh, but often time of poor, aren't they? You know, well, very, I, that's one yeah. of the things that I notice, you, yeah, that, you know, yeah. in this industry. Yeah. They're, usually their prime concern is is their patients, as it yeah. should be, and yeah. so they don't have as much time to focus on on how to run a business or to maximise profits and things like that. Mm. Um, in fact, I've, I've just signed up to attend a, um, an online uh, forum over the weekend on scaling up businesses and, and the and medical practices in mm. particular in this case. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is that there are overlays, as you have in other businesses, but I think this is more pronounced, of government intervention that actually can control how much money people earn through the Medicare rebate, and it's been frozen for a long time. So there's those issues. I think there's technology taking a bigger place in, in how practices run, both from just purely the, the, you know practice software through to integrating software and and making things easier we uh, practitioners can subscribe to things like hot doc and mm. health engine who that can generate appointments for them telehealth is changing you know the way people approach medicine as well so there's a lot of things that you need to take into consideration and i guess you know one of the things that strikes me about the medical dental um you know health services type industries is also there's you know there can be quite a different approach to how they staff the the approach of staffing you know rather than just you know many businesses are more the traditional employment relationships so they have employees obviously in this industry there's lots of different uh, approaches to that so I guess that's another factor that yeah um, yeah there's I mean doctors can be employed in inverted commas, either as subcontractors mm. working on a percentage of the income that they generate for new, for new practices and for, for particularly intra, you know doctors coming into a practice. Sometimes they can be on on an hourly rate for a period until their their earnings sort of balance out that that percentage basis. You've got people um, like Allied Health can work within a practice, mm. physios, um, dietitians, podiatrists, whatever it might be. And they can either take a you know rent a room from that doctor, or they can act as subcontractors as well. Which is you know whatever they earn, the doctor gets a percentage of that, and they get the other percentage. Mm. So there are differences. There's usually nurse practitioners that work within the practice, and they can be full time, part time, and have different roles. And then administrative staff. There's usually a, a most of the time there's a, a practice manager. Mm not necessarily the wife of the owner of the doctor's, you know, thing, but can be a, pra- a professional practice manager. And then there's a whole range of administrative staff, receptionists and, and people like that. Mm. And a lot of people within those practices don't work full time. So you've got to um, sort of a manage the the, the flow of, of staff coming in and out. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. So I think that, that makes, you know, the industry quite, different. Um, And, you know, the reason I'm talking about this is because I think it's important for people to understand selling a medical practice isn't necessarily just a a standard 
thing in just like selling any other business is there are nuances in the industries. So, um, so, okay. All right. And before we get stuck into talking about some case studies, let's just quickly talk about buyer profile. So what is the most likely, what are the different buyer profiles? Who are buyers of medical practices? And around about where is that sitting in broken down into, you know, rough percentages at the moment? I can't, I don't know that I can be accurate in, in percentages, but we'll work our way through this and that's yep. we can as we do this. But there are a lot of overseas trained doctors who are now mm. calling Australia home who've gone through the process of having their qualifications recognised by the federal government and uh, are now have gone through being only allowed to work in um, country areas, regional areas, so they, they, they end up being what we call vocationally registered, which means that they can work anywhere. They become fellows of the College of General Practitioners and they're now looking to buy practices because they've if you like, done their apprenticeship in Australia. They've often wanted to come back and live in the major cities for family reasons, uh, kids going to school, university, and joining back into communities. Um, some have made very successful lives in, the, in those regional areas. So that's one group. The second is people who already own a practice or two or three or whatever it might be who are looking to expand their uh, business, you know, size. And so they, they're probably very well experienced in what it takes to, to run a practice and probably understand the buying process as well. And then you've got uh, the big corporates and, and medium corporates, you know, who might have up to 30 or 40 practices, IPN, what was primary now Helios, which has now been sold, but they've got, you know, 50, maybe 100 odd practices, whatever it is across Australia. So there's some very large ones. Then you've got, so it can be doctors or non-doctors. So you could have non-doctor investors who are, and I've got some of those who buy practices from me, who see medicine as, as a both a profitable but also a, a worthwhile business to be involved with. I have to sometimes tell them that, you know, that buying a, a small practice is not going to be to, to their betterment, but to buy a much larger practice helps them because they're not generating generating their own income. Mm. They're only generating money through what that comes into the practice from that percentage that goes to the practice that doesn't go to the doctors. So there's, there is a range. Now, it's been said for a number of years that Australian graduates are not buying practices, and that's probably still true. And we don't know whether it's a generational thing or, you know, the Gen X, Gen Y type of situation or it's, it's more cultural that they prefer to work for a few years in a practice, build up a bit of, you know, experience and maybe buy into that practice or, or leave and buy their own practice, start their own practice, whatever it might be. The other thing is that there's also 70% of, or 60 to 70% of all graduates in through the medical schools in Australia are female. So they're not going to buy practices to the same extent as males, and there's probably another major reason why Australian graduates aren't buying. That's um, an interesting um, point. What, what, why? What makes you say um, that? Can't be categoric, but and I noticed this from my working in pharmacy as well that a lot of women see some of these professions as being very flexible in terms of hours. So if you want to have a family, then you can have time to and work the hours when your kids are at school and you can work those hours you don't have to do weekend work you don't have to do evening work um so you can you can 
make it, you know, suit you. And therefore, it's it's less likely that you want to buy a practice. Now, as I say, I, I can probably point you, and one of my examples today was a female doctor owner. Mm. So it does happen. But to the to I think in terms of, of proportion, there are more male owners than female owners. Mm. So, and you think that that comes from the fact that through ownership comes you know, essentially less, less flexibility. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, more responsibility, less less flexibility. Creates difficulty, um, you know, from a family perspective. Okay, all right. Well, that's an interesting one. I, um, I hadn't thought about that. So let's look here then at some examples between the difference between selling a small medical clinic and a large medical clinic and, um, you know, maybe one in the middle. Okay, well, let's look at, obviously start with the smaller one. And the one I've chosen is one that's um, fairly fresh. It's uh, about 12 months ago now, I think we sold this one. Um, this was in um, located at a small shopping centre in, uh, in Melbourne southeast, uh, not that far from uh, Port Phillip Bay. It was a, a relatively small physically. It had two consulting rooms plus a pathology room plus a uh, treatment room, procedure room. And it was owned by a female doctor of Indian background, and she had one um, female part-time doctor who supported her, plus a part-time nurse. So it's not a particularly big practice. We sold it for $100,000 plus a small amount of stock, which is consumable items, medicines, just general consumable items. And then the owners put in a, a retention clause into this that they would pay another $26,000 after 12 months if the doctor continued to work in the practice at agreed hours. So this is something I wanted to, to highlight because this will happen in all of the practices except maybe one or two where the owners are required to stay with the practice. Mm. And the main reason is that we want to try and protect the goodwill. If the practice owner leaves a practice in a short period of time, then you're probably going to see quite a drift away, leaking out, whatever term you want to use, of patients. And when, when somebody buys a practice, what they're buying is they're buying the doctor, but they're really buying the patient. Mm. So if you don't have that continuity, then you don't get your value. Now, we originally priced this considerably higher at over $300,000, which in some respects the figures could cope with that, if you like. But really what happens is that, that people say, we can't scale this practice up to any great extent. We're, we Physically, we're, we don't have the space and we possibly could increase the hours and have slightly, you know, more doctors coming through the practice, but we can only ever have two or three doctors there at any one time. And that's the problem with, with some of these smaller practices. And it has to go to a, uh, a doctor who can work in the practice. Mm. Just you know, this issue of if if I'm not working, I'm not generating my own income. I'm never going to make enough money just as an investor. So that's the, the the small one, a very attractive little practice. Not to say it wasn't, and it had a a very feminine feel about it because the female doctors were working there, which was not in any way a criticism. But it it had a, a very gentle family um, feeling about it. But it was it was small. The mid sized practice is one that I've. It settled literally at the end of the financial year just passed. Um, and uh, so this, we've gone now from 
barely one and a half full-time equivalent doctors to now about four to five doctors in this practice. I think it was probably call it four. Um, it's in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, northeast suburbs. The owner was over 80 uh, of Chinese uh, Singaporean background. His wife had uh, joined the practice as the practice manager, also of a similar age. Um, it was a building that they owned and they'd um, combined, in fact, two buildings to make a much bigger practice uh, quite a few years ago. And they're turning, you know, obviously now turning over a lot more money because there's more doctors. And this is, comes to how, how they report income because they can report what we would call absolute gross income or the income that you've got that comes into the business after the doctors get their share of this. So that's another thing to look out for. Um, profit was quite reasonable, but it, it was really the owner's profit. So it was what we would call a, a PBITA rather than an EBITDA figure here. And in fact, we had we had two offers on this um, and we accepted the, the first one and, and they started their due diligence and they were people I knew who were not practising uh, medical people, but they were investors. But the numbers just didn't work. When you looked at that, they've got to keep paying the other doctors and there's no money being generated by them. Yeah. So we found a second doctor who was an owner-operator and uh, he worked in the practice for a short while before settlement um, and um, I met him after he, he moved in and uh, thrilled to bits. Uh, the, the old owners said that they've never seen the practice so busy because oh, wow. he brought new patients in and he, he said to me it's the best decision he's ever made. Now, that practice, we um, we actually got our virtually got our asking price because the benefit to that purchaser was very high. There's a great number of things that worked for him. It was close to home, relatively. It was only you know ten minute drive from home. Um, he knew the area. His wife was also a doctor, but worked at the Epping Northern Hospital, which is only a short distance away. It were, everything came together, so he was happy to pay. Um, I think we got uh, about five fifty, and mm. we didn't value it for much le less than that. We put it on the market for a little bit more, but we we valued it at around about five thirty, something like that. So it's an interesting sort of business, isn't it? So, um, so, so we said we've got revenue of around about a million profit, including the owner's wages of about two ninety. But if we took out what what would be the owner's wage, you, you know, expectation in this type of business, probably around the 200? Uh, could be a little bit more because it depends on, on the practitioner and how many hours they're working. But, you know, if, a, some, if an owner is working what I would call your 38-hour, 40-hour week, um, an owner of a practice can generate, and I've seen it, I've got one now at the moment where they can generate six or seven hundred thousand dollars worth of fees. Mm. But if you if you looked at say let's call it six fifty, and you multiply that by point point uh, seven, seventy percent, so their wage could be four hundred and fifty five thousand dollars. Mm. But but I guess I'm I'm going off the well if we've got a million revenue and two ninety in um. In, in profit that includes the owner's wage, but say we take 200 out of it, like we're just sitting, if you're looking at an investor, you're saying, well, here's a business that's making 90K profit. So a sale right. price of 550K is... Nope. You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
can see you can see it a pretty good right so yeah. it's interesting so that's why you know I, I guess it's an example of if you're using figures like that why this is more attractive to um you know to people who are in the profession rather than yeah. pure investors yeah. now in this case the the owner as i said during covid due to his age wasn't really working in the practice much at all right mainly telehealth so his, his, the arrangement post-settlement is that he will probably continue to do that rather than come and sit in the practice for any great length of time. Mm, mm. Interesting. And, and it's interesting because I, I, when I think about this, is this is a larger practice, but we actually sold it for less, and I'll explain why. Now, this, this had six or seven doctors in it, um, maybe up to eight at some, certain times, but the owner was not present. The owner was actually living in the UK. She, ret- she lived in the area for some time, moved the practice from one, um, this, and this is a regional practice, when I say regional, the outer fringe of Melbourne mm-hmm. um, in the Yarra Valley. And so she moved the practice from Healesville to, uh, to Yarra Glen and, um, and she was, had to go back to the UK for family reasons and didn't return. And so this was, you know, run by a practice manager who was terrific um, and the doctors enjoyed working there, um, and it was a it was a very large building, an ex childcare centre, I think, and so it had um, had been built, you know, uh, modified accordingly, and had nine consulting rooms, treatment rooms, pathology. They had heaps of visiting allied health pr- practitioners. Um, didn't generate as much income as you thought. It was probably around about seven hundred and fifty thousand, and the profit was about a hundred thousand. And that didn't include the owner's wage in mm. this case because she just wasn't there. Right. Whatever she, took, she just took drawings out of the business. We sold it for 320000 plus stock, but we'd only valued it at two fifty eight. So why did we get another $60,000? Well, we got that because um, the buyers were very keen to buy a regional practice that was their focus they now own six practices i think um all of them are in very similar areas they're, they're not in the middle of cities um they're in sort of outer outer suburbanish areas re, uh, regional and it suited them and, and they they saw from the capacity that they had they could put more doctors in there and make it work and of course buying as because they're investors um, they needed to have a full complement of doctors working there, but their model was such that um, they'd already had the economies of scale in in administration and all that sort of stuff. So they could actually probably turn a better profit um, over time than um, a single practice mm. would have. And they didn't have to worry about the doctor staying on because. It, she wasn't there, and that's a you know that's a pretty good example. I have one large, the largest practice I've ever sold was uh, eight doctors in the southeast suburbs or eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and we got nearly uh, uh, eight hundred and fifty thousand for that practice. Mm. But the, the, the new owners were one was a doctor, and the one and his wife had been the practice manager. The two principal doctors were going to stay on for three years because they were not that old they were in their early 60s late 50s that suited them to to do that and and the numbers made a hell of a lot of sense on that one in mm. fact, very profitable very stable practice 
I'm I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated um, by uh, this difference in the sale price between the mid-sized practice and the large <laughs> practice. From a, a general, you know, sale of business perspective, we say that um, you know businesses that are uh, able to run on without the prior owners, um, you, you know, without much of a handover, generally have a higher value than businesses where the, um, you know, prior owners are more integrated into the business. And certainly in a business like a medical practice where, you know, you've got this client relationship that is at risk, you know, whenever we've got a transition and need to um, add more doctors in. And so it's, I, I find it very interesting then on the basis of that, that the larger practice that ticked that box more than the smaller, uh, the medium-sized practice ended up with a, um, a far lower sale price. So it had higher, it had higher income, probably ultimately a similar amount of profit at the end of the day once you sort of uh, factor in owner's wage for the amount of work that was being done. Um, the larger practice seemed more set up for a better transition. So so tell us what was the secret and and maybe is there something in this that that vendors might think about as they prepare for sale that was the magic secret between the difference the the reason why the mid-sized practice outperformed the larger practice in this instance at sale. I sort of indicated earlier that it really is what the purchaser wants. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first thing. So as we know, value is in the eye of the beholder. Yes, we, we can show numbers, but those numbers have to make sense to that particular person based on and, and that mid-sized practice. It was location, size, and, and the doctors who were already there. And, and just it, it fitted that person's lifestyle as much mm. as anything else, mm. okay? So you're willing to, to pay a little bit more. Now, he obviously had somebody do the due diligence on, on the figures um, and the accountant said to me, look, if without the owner's wage, this breaks even. And I said, yep, we're selling it on that basis. But with the owner working in that practice, it's very attractive financially, mm. very attractive financially. And, and the owners of that practice over the years, and they obviously had it for a long time, but showing their age in the, in the 80s, um, that, that they were able to live a, a fantastic lifestyle, mm. you know, and, and invest heavily and, and, and that sort of stuff. So that's the first thing. The smaller practices tend to be, you, you have to work harder to keep the money going. That's the other thing. There, there are ways to uh, use the system, which is Medicare in this case, and if you're willing to do that, then you can generate money, but you've got to, you know, is bulk billing, a belt billing practice as good as a, a privately billing practice? Mm. It can be ways that it does make sense. Other times, you know, you've got to see six patients an hour rather than four. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, so let's see if we can, um, let's see if we can um, bring this down then to some action tips. Larry, what is it that you uh, suggest for vendors who are planning ahead for sale? First thing, and you mentioned the word already, is plan. Yeah. Don't leave this to the last minute. Think as long ahead as you can, maybe five years, to, to make sure you get everything ready, your mindset as much as anything else. Secondly, totally agree. understand that you will have to do something post-sale. You'll have to stay with the practice. Mm. One, two, three years, whatever it is, up to you and your purchaser, 
you'll have to do that. Get your financials in order, okay? Make sure that they are complete, accurate, timely, all that sort of stuff. Make sure that the physical presence is standard. You know, it, it's, it's clean, it's tidy, it's modern. People are welcomed. It, you know, it feels comfortable, that Looks sort of good. stuff. Yeah. Make sure that any agreements you have with anybody in the in the in your employee or subcontractor that those are up to up to date and are complete as well and compliant and compliant <laughs> absolutely from a, absolutely from a legal point of view um, understand what your what could happen in terms of staff um, entitlements annual leave long service leave that sort of stuff I had one practice which I'm still discussing with them. COVID's slowed everything down, um, that had um, something like $200,000 worth of entitlements that had to be wow. paid out. You know, just ridiculous. Just because they hadn't managed that over they time, had not you know, managed it. entitlements where, need yeah. to be managed. Yeah. yeah. The account, the accountant is, is in that case, to me, is negligent in that. Mm. Accreditation, uh, make sure your accreditation is up to date um, and uh, and you're you're working towards the next accreditation. Accreditation is a three-year period, so you get you, you work towards getting it, and then you've got three years, and then you, at the end of the second year, you're already starting to think of that reaccreditation. Make sure that's done. If the building is owned by the owners of the practice but in a different entity, just make sure that there is a lease. Mm. Is the rent commercial? Oh, such a good uh, point. All that sort of stuff. Just, yeah. just to make sure that you understand what is going. Do you, are you going to sell the building? or not sell the building. Yeah, okay. and when is the right time to sell the building because, you, you know, an offer, often a sale um, in this sort of industry is for people who are headed into retirement and there can be all sorts of timings for when the sale of the, the uh, well, the, not just the business, but the premises themselves can be uh, more advantageous and less advantageous from a tax perspective. So, yeah. you know, there's sorts of things to understand for the future because there are tricky, there are ways that we can get around this to still allow, you know, leasing for a period of time and then, you know, an option to sell or those sorts of things. But, you, you know, if you're not thinking about that until you've already signed the deal, you may not realise the tax liability yeah. that uh, you're incurring. If we forget tax for the moment, the other thing is that, that a lot of buyers are looking for investments as well. Yeah. So they, I, I'm, I've had practices which I haven't been able to sell as quickly as I thought because there was no property to sell. Isn't that fascinating? It is. And yet yeah. you get other ones, people say, no, I, I don't want to buy. The mm. corporates don't buy, buy property. Mm, mm. It doesn't make sense to them. Mm. And the final thing that I put down here is that, that if, if you want to think, start thinking about selling, then have your practice valued. Mm. Find out why we come up with a figure that we do. And, and, and what and you can do to move the dial. Exactly <laughs> right. And so you can, you can think about what can I do, and, and usually the, somebody like myself can, can guide them a little bit, but there are professionals also who look at managing practices and, and, and helping people do that. Um, but it's it's really if 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 the practice has little value, it's because of some of the things we've discussed. Mm. It's too small. It, there's no scaling up, um, and that's the problem. So that's never going to change. But if you have a practice where you where it's in that 
grey area that it could be scaled up and, and it, we could put more doctors and we could have another couple of rooms or whatever it might be or we have to, might have to move to a new location, then having that value and knowing what that value really means could be mm. priceless really for the vendors because mm. they can start thinking, well, I'm going to get this much out of it that I can start planning my future out of that as well. Mm. So that's, that's the most important for me is really don't go into this thinking that the, the practice is worth a million dollars and it's never going to be worth a quarter of that. Mm, you know? yeah. And we and you would know that that there are unreasonable vendors and medical practitioners are no different. Yeah. Yeah, and look, you know, it's the um, it's this age-old issue of disappointment leading into sale because of lack of education along the way and thinking that income equals value at sale as well you know is is another trap so which you've you know so expertly demonstrated with some of your different case studies here for most practitioners owner operators this is still that classic buying a job yeah but it's got to be that at the end of the the day that there there is sufficient money that is what we would call the 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 profit to to make this an attractive yeah business that's the most important thing Brilliant. Well, look, Larry, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on the Deal Room podcast today. If our listeners have a medical practice and they would like a bit of assistance with it, either in terms of understanding the value in advance so they can do some of this turning the dial or because they're almost ready to hit the market, how do they contact you? Well, they can contact me through the exclusive um, website, uh, exclusive.com.au. um, I can certainly make my uh, personal phone number available to them. Um, my email address is Larry at Exclusive, and of course, Exclusive is spelled X C L U S I V E dot com dot au. I'm more than happy to chat. There's no obligation, and I'm more than happy to help. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Larry. And look, as always, if you are running along the beach or on your commute to well, where the hell would you be commuting to? You might be commuting to someone, I guess, if you're in is somewhere if you're in New South Wales. Maybe not if you're uh, <laughs> with Larry. Well, I've got five kilometres to run in. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we'll put uh, we'll, we'll put those those links in the show notes anyway, just in case we're uh, we're out of lockdown by the time you're listening to this and you're actually doing something away from a notepad. Uh, wonderful. Okay, Larry, thank you so much. We've loved having you on the show. Thank you very much indeed. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it immensely. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room Podcast. If you'd like more information about this topic, head over to our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. There you'll also be able to find details of how to contact Larry Green at Exclusive Business Sales. And there you'll also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a number of great services that assist businesses both on the buy side and the sell side. So don't hesitate to book an appointment if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. Well, that's it. Once again, thank you so much for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast. See you next time.
Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 